Happy Tag Tuesday. Hello. <laughs> I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And we are two average girls. You know the drill. We're glad you're with us on this beautiful Tuesday. How are you, Denise? I'm doing so good. I am I am doing good. I have had a lot of sun, <laughs> a lot of fun. I played some golf. And I have to say, and I don't want, I probably shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'll jinx myself. I'm kind of superstitious with stuff. Yeah. I've been playing golf pretty good. <gasps> pretty yeah. good for me. Don't say that. I know. I don't I'm want afraid. you to revert back. <laughs> I don't know what is going on, but I'm not like completely terrible. It, like, could, it, could it be, let me just suggest this. Could it be that you're golfing enough now that you're reaching a point where you're doing better? I mean, that's how it works, right? It does, but I don't golf like I should. Like... Really, when you want to be a good golfer, you have to golf like weekly. I don't mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. I usually golf like a couple times in a week and then I don't golf for a month. Yeah. That's bad. That's bad, bad. I don't know. So, is I know. It is, well, it is if you want to be a good golfer. It's okay. one of those things that you have to try. The problem with golf isn't like, like if you go out and play pickleball, you just start playing and you know what to expect. It's a the court is the same. The shoes you're wearing are the same. The balls are the same. My when attitude get, is the same. My, my attitude is the same. I <laughs> I know what to expect. Right. right? It, the only thing that changes is maybe your opponent, mm -hmm. and then that changes the way you play a little. But but the basics are the same. When you go golfing, no 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 no. It's no. all different. Right. The course is different. Mm -hmm. The conditions could be different if it's rained if it hasn't rained if they've cut the grass a certain way this the season of the year it just does it, you don't know what you don't know there's so much <laughs> there's so much out there it seems like you just hit a white ball that's not what you do no it doesn't seem like that anyone who has looked at the game of golf and gone that might be interesting knows that it's like there's memes about how frustrating it is no, I saw I mean, a little kid the other day. He reminded me a little bit of Henry, but he was like, he had his whole garb on. He was out with his dad, this cute little boy, and he went to hit the ball and he just whiffed it. He didn't even come close to actually hitting the ball, even touching it. And he just sat down. He didn't throw himself on the ground. He just slowly sat down on the green and then just laid down <laughs> and just put his hand over his face. It was pure, it was pure disdain and disappointment and I was like if a three-year-old can feel that way I, I have no interest in doing any of this thank you very much there's for sure somebody showing that kid that attitude because <laughs> even Henry has kind of like thrown his club down on the ground and I'm like Mitchell no, <laughs> like somebody's showing him what is going on and how yeah. to react when you don't do well for the, sure or he's watched some golf 
he's being very dramatic about it. But I think that comes with golf. I think people just are very dramatic. We actually... It's, it's not been... dramatic. It's real frustration. I am telling you. It yeah. is the craziest, craziest sport in the world. I didn't even used to think it was a sport because I just like, it's golf. It's <laughs> like what people do when they want to retire. How can it be a sport? Every man <gasps> makes everything they like a sport. This isn't a sport. Well, I was wrong. I admit it. It is freaking hard. And challenging and also when you play well and that's the whole thing somebody gave me advice and they said take it one hole at a time mm. you cannot be emotional now good luck I'd, i know i i decided though about you know probably three times ago that i played i literally was like i don't really care because i was trying to keep score for a while and get a handicap and do all of this stuff and i'm like oh you're you know not what? keeping score you don't keep well score? I keep score uh, somewhat. Like, I know how well I'm doing. Like, I made three pars yesterday. <gasps> really? Yeah. That's, that's really, really good. I also know when I, if I go over a double bogey, I just stop. Like, I'm just not going to worry about it. That means two over. Like, if, I, if I'm if i way over two over or I'm just really biffing it on that hole or my lies end up, you know, from one sand trap to the other. Yeah. I'm just not going to even worry about putting out. I'm just yeah. done. Right. Like, just move on. Like, yeah. I don't care. I think that's best. I think it's best. So, you know, not meaning to <laughs> brag, but just saying my golf game's on point and I'm doing better, which is always nice when you come home after you played golf and you're not wanting to kill somebody. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Your husband. Yourself. You're like, what is going on? I'm never playing that game again. And then the next day he's like, do you want to go play around? I'm like, oh, sure. I guess. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. It's always so much fun when I'm with you. <laughs> Um, people may hear in this podcast a little uh, noise in, in the background on Denise's end because <laughs> she's got some company with her. She's she's puppy sitting her grand dog, Molly, the cutest little little furry thing on four legs I've ever seen, as well as her own two gigantic dogs. Molly thinks she's one of the big girls, mm. which she's part of a pack now. When mm -hmm. she's at her house, she is like the baby. Mm -hmm. She has a carrier. I mean, like, she's got the whole situation, right? Sure. Like, her mom and dad take her everywhere. Sure. They go, if she goes to work with Shana every day, she goes riding in the truck. She comes to work even with Chance sometimes. She's never home alone. Mm -hmm. Here, she's home alone because she's a dog. So, <laughs> Denise is very, you have to know this about Denise. Denise is an animal lover. She loves dogs maybe even a cat or two. She's an love animal cats. lover. Love, love animals of all kinds. However, she you also have an attitude of maybe, you, not that you were, but the attitude is such that maybe you were raised on a farm. That's kind of her thing. Like she's very practical with animals. It's like it's an animal. Therefore, yes. it's going to be outside or it's going to be over here. We're not going to do this with it. It's it's an animal. It's not a human. And Denise doesn't ever cross that line of, but but it's my baby. She never crosses that line. I think after you have children, you're like, I don't need another fur baby. I hate when people call their animals mm -hmm. fur babies, by the mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. I just think animals, if you respect what they are about and who they are, and like Molly is a miniature wiener dog. She's very low to the ground. She's the really little, little thing. and she's yeah. got long hair. She's really cute. She's she a is. sweet, sweet girl. She's a good girl, mm -hmm. but she's also a dog. And, you know, like her, her 
demeanor is to go and hunt something. So she barks a lot sometimes because she gets herself excited. And there's just a lot about dogs that if you have a dog, you should know what kind of dog they are and what their role in the world is. That's right. how I feel, right? Like my dogs are hunters. They yeah. need stimulation that helps them hunt, even if it's just going in the bushes every day and yeah. looking for stuff and pointing and they do. at the lizard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we run them so that they have the energy out. I mean, there's just a lot of things you have to do for dogs, but we're home. When we go out golfing, we're gone for like four or five hours. Mm -hmm. So the what do you do with the dogs able to, well, when you They do have to stay home and Molly is a barker and she cries. Like she howls and she does the whole thing. She howls. So, yeah, so guess Molly what I started howling. doing? Uh -huh. What? I started doing, I put on a podcast for her. Is it, our, is it our Joe podcast. Rogan? It's not Joe Rogan. She doesn't like the F word. No. She doesn't like political stuff. She likes my voice. So we put on two average girls for her through Alexa. And when we're gone, I come home and our you and I are still playing five hours later. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Most of us would want to kill ourselves after that, but not Molly. She's very happy. I put her in a little pen so she's not roaming the house because yeah. she's not great with the potty training sure so she's not sure if i'm home or not she can hear my voice but she never sees me well she doesn't need to she just thinks you, you might be in another room talking with a good friend exactly <laughs> she has no idea so anybody who needs to keep their animals company during the day just turn on two average girls I, this we'll, is, we'll be there we'll be the dog and cat and bird sitter for you this is a great marketing campaign that i think <laughs> is untouched i think we need to tap into something big yeah we need to advertise ourselves as the the ultimate dog sitting pet sitting you may have a parakeet Experience. that you can't yeah. leave alone yeah We're, two average girls will help sit your animals <laughs> free of charge all you have to do is download that's all you got to do that's all we ask we, <laughs> rate review and subscribe exactly <laughs> on behalf of your animals that's right that's so funny i love it molly's molly's having a fast one pulled on her and she doesn't even know she doesn't know but she loves me anyway she's sitting next to me as we are recording so if you do hear anything that's just her little way just of saying molly. hi saying yeah. hi hi molly so you and i were just talking about my golf game and my attitude Mm -hmm. And that is a good segue for, I think, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. We've both been, um, well, it's been a while now that we've been talking about people, people's attitudes. I, I don't want to point any fingers at, at anything or anyone, but I think there became a cultural shift when um, President Trump was elected. Absolutely. And it all, it was starting even before that with the... Uh, Again, I don't need to point fingers at any political administration or anything like that. But things started going sideways a little bit with the Obama administration with the what's truth and what's me just saying what I feel my truth is and everyone mm -hmm. has to accept it. The sky's green. No, it's not. Well, I think it is. So therefore, you have to accept it. Um, it started going sideways. And then when President Trump was elected, all civility literally went out the door with media, mm -hmm. with interpersonal relationships, just with, you know, a, at a party. Like you couldn't have right. a, a differing opinion. And it got sort of served up on this platter of everyone has to take a side. And it became very toxic very quickly, especially when you're doing things like watching Saturday Night Live or tuning into Jimmy Fallon or Fox News or CNN. Every side was unbalanced and was really going hard for the hoop, like very aggressively stating 
what they felt their opinion was and how they felt that was right. I You just mentioned all of those news stations and um, comedians and shows. I don't watch one of them anymore no, because I am tired of the negativity. Mm-hmm. I am tired of the reminder of the polarization of the country. I remember hearing on the news, and I'd heard this before. This isn't the first time I'd heard it, but it struck me at this time. And this is why I think quotes and things from people that are, you know, insightful mean different things to different people at different times, is I heard the quote from Mr. Rogers, which is, look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple phrase. And when I heard it, it struck me. And it was after the mass shooting at the elementary school mm-hmm. and i thought it is a simple phrase but it made me do a little deep dive on mr rogers mm-hmm. and so i started looking at where it came from what it was about and why he had said it and what i didn't realize was that i was getting down a rabbit hole of controversy <laughs> okay people who don't like the being a helper well actually it's a little bit of, I would say there's cynicism. And mm. again, these are journalists that I'm reading. Mm. And I think that journalists, you know, they do hear and see some of the worst things. We're a dark group. It sure. is not, you know, it's not great. It's like being a cop almost, right? Yeah. You're seeing the worst of humanity instead of the best sometimes. Yes. The critics of this think that it is an attempt to mask the tragedy in the world. Okay. Okay. These, these might be the same people who don't like Disneyland. Right. These people attest <laughs> that victims and families of tragic events such as mass school shootings and bombings are not going to feel better by hearing these simple words. Okay. Now, they might he, that this person might be true. That might be true for a lot of people. At the time, they might not feel that way. What I just read was, it was an article from Nicole Krauss um, dated October 14th, 2022. In, it's called Look for the Helpers, Four Lessons from Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how there are lessons that can be learned from this quote. And that some people are just critics and sinister? Cynics. You got this. Is that right? Cynics, right. Now, when I went down this rabbit hole, I did find one man that I don't particularly jive with. I'll just say it that way. He's a little bit, and and again, he writes for the Atlantic. And I found this in an article, the fetization of Mr. Rogers, look for the helpers. And in his article, he is really down on this whole idea of look for the helpers and what it's about. And he goes on in this article, and if you guys have a moment to look it up, I think it's worth a read. I mean, it kind of it kind of got me almost, okay, I'm going to show you that's not how life needs to be. But um, he says this, once a television comfort for preschoolers, look for the helpers has become a consolation meme for tragedy. Mm, okay. That's disturbing enough. It feels as though we are one step shy of a rack of drugstore mass murder sympathy cards. Oh my gosh. This yeah. guy is really dark. He's he's not happy. <laughs> Worse, Fred Rogers' original message has been con- contorted and inflated into something it was never meant to be. 
for an audience it was never meant to serve in a political era very different from where it began. For Rod Fred Rogers is a national treasure, but it's time to stop offering his per this practical advice. Well, and what do you think about that? That it was because he's not wrong when he says that when Fred Rogers made that statement, uh, it was a very different political uh era but it was also just a different culturally it was a different era as well do you think that that saying doesn't apply and should no longer apply because we're so far from where we came from in the 60s or whenever it was he said that his show as simple as it is especially now with technology and the way it is his puppets are you know a little bit I would say a little bit hard to even watch, but, mm -hmm. you know, meow, meow. I mean, it's so cute, right? <laughs> like I was a child of Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I was three years old when Mr. Rogers first started being broadcast. And I remember sitting there with that in Sesame Street. That was my jam. Yeah, it was very comforting television watching. And it was all about acceptance and learning and um, accepting people who are different than you and showing love without any boundaries, just being like, no, we love you, welcome to our neighborhood, that kind of thing. Um, I think we judge a lot of television by what we think, because you said something about the puppets, they're kind of hard to watch. It's right. really dated, the Mr. Rogers show is, but if you think about it from a kid's point of view, they don't know any different. And it's just sort of comfort TV, it's, you know? what are the next thing that they're going to be exposed to is probably some violent video game. You know what I'm saying? Right. So just let them watch something that to you seems dopey, but is actually really comforting for them. Here's just this really nice man walking around his neighborhood, talking to people and being, you know, learning about new things. And, <laughs> and maybe a cat shows up once in a while. You know what I mean? It's, I don't think we need to judge it from a, from an adult point of view, which I think is what we do sometimes, and that might be part of this guy's problem. Well, you know, and one of the things that this guy is talking about is he's saying that this quote should, was never intended to do as much work as it was was supposed to. It, originally, it was just for a few, you know, three to five-year-olds, and it was never meant for adults. It was never meant to do what it was intended to do now, what people are imposing it to do. What? I disagree. Wait a minute. That's every quote that anybody ever says ever. I agree. I agree. I, that's why I'm saying I think it's strange. And my question is, my question is, does it matter the kind of tragedy that you apply this to? No, it doesn't. I don't think. This is Anne's opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and, and to go back on what you were saying, if his mother said this in the 30s, let's just say we're mm -hmm. hypoth hypothetical. Maybe she said it in the 30s, whatever. If he said it, if he repeated it in the 60s, that means that he lived through World War II. You were sending your brothers and your uncles and maybe your dad uh, out to uh, <laughs> to war. We're not dealing with that right now. Yes, we have dealt with like the never-ending war that we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, all that. But nothing like World War II. I think, I think people mistake the amount of information we get on such a, a regular basis for something other than what it actually is. I don't think the rate of, say, death and destruction, just to give it a broad stroke, is a lot different 
than it has been in the past. Our access to the information has changed. Now, I am not including school shootings in that statement because that is truly a phenomenon that has happened and increased over the past decade that uh, that wasn't happening before. But I'm talking on the regular, uh, you know, like car accidents and uh, breaking and enterings and, you know, all these terrible things that you see on the news or that are brought directly to your phone that you're not even asking for. It's just being served up to you. I don't think, I don't think there's more of it. I think we're just finding out about it much quicker. So I, I understand what this guy is saying, that yes, it was said in a different era, but at the same time, it still applies because we still need to find people who are helpers and they're still out there. Well, what what um, Nicole Krauss was saying, she said, the quote was in no way intended to make light of such things. I don't think that he did anything that wasn't intentional. Oh, no, he didn't. And and the, the, he was so perfectly poised as a television star, whatever you want to call him, as a personality, because he had the air of this is all just sort of happening. And in fact, it was just the opposite. It was very, very purposeful. I, I don't mean to derail this, but let me give you an example of the, that fits this perfectly. You know, I worked for PBS for mm-hmm. 20 plus years. Um, one of the great staples of public television is Huell Hauser. And yes. Huell Hauser was a mainstay on the station that I worked for. He was beloved. He has since passed away, but he was beloved. Well, the the news program that I worked on, Real Orange, uh, we celebrated our 10th anniversary as a news station, and we were able to get Huell Hauser to come do a show with us. So it was kind of like a cross promo. So he came to our station with his photographer and he did like already set up interviews with us and did, you know, because Huell Hauser's thing was he'd go to some random place in Missouri with some woman who had the largest collection of Hummel figurines and (laughs) like walk through her house and have her tell him all about her Hummel figurines. And it was so interesting and he was so into it and all this stuff. And you always felt like he was really sincerely in love with the Hummel figurines. He did the same thing with our new show. The interesting thing about Hill Hauser, though, was when we met him, it was all sort of our first time. I remember we met him in an alleyway. He pulled up in his car (laughs) with his with his photog. It was just him and the photographer. And um we were all like, hi, you know, we were all kind of awestruck or whatever. And he was just like a normal, really nice guy. When he started filming, he was calling the shots. Every single thing he did was purposeful. He went from, aw, shucks, howdy. Well, let's take a look at this figurine. Now, tell me, what is this? It it cost you $29 in the 50s? Well, that was a huge price, this kind of thing. He went from folksy guy next door to the runner of the show. He was absolutely the person in control. Nothing was done by accident or by happenstance. He was purposeful in every single thing that he did. And he sort of schooled us a little bit, not intentionally in any way. He just was like, this is how it's going to get done. This is how I do my work. And I'm here to help you know, promote you guys. So step aside and let me do my work. I feel it's the same with Mr. Rogers. There's a persona that the public got to see, which is very comforting and very sort of homey and aw shucks. But behind that is someone who is very purposeful and very much in charge of their own narrative and how things 
are going to be seen by the public. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the things that struck me, and you can say a lot about people, but when people are kind and concerned about children, Mm. to me, that makes them special. And this is what um, Nicole Krauss said. This is what she said. The quote was never intended to make light of such things, but rather create a sense of hope in humanity. Rogers Mm. wanted to give children a sense of reassurance that one bad person or group does not define the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. He wanted them to know that while bad things happen, there will always be something good that can come from it. It wasn't to make light. It wasn't to make sense. It wasn't even to solve the problem. Again, we're not here to solve a problem. Mm -mm. We're here to talk about how to react to a circumstance. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like what, yeah. And I often wonder in situations that are very dramatic, uh, how much of it, I always used to say this to to Cameron growing up, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? I love that. And I always wonder, usually after it's too late and I'm looking back at the situation, was I part of the problem? Was I standing in the middle of everyone screaming, help, help? Or was I actually part of the solution? Was I, you know, bringing people to the side of the road and clearing an area? You know, it's one of those things that's very hard to think about in the moment. And usually it's not until afterwards that you go, "Uh uh-oh, I was my... (laughs) Right. <laughs> my performance wasn't great. Oh, you right. know, but I think if we if that's in my mind, maybe I will be better when those tough situations come along. I don't know. So in his article, he also says among critics of looking for helpers as a meme, a common objection is that just looking for helpers is insufficient, at least for adults. I think he's right. Instead, you're supposed to strive to be a helper. A variation on the original that's almost become its own meme. And then he says, but that assumes anyone who knows who counts. Anyone, let me start again. But that assumes anyone knows who counts as a helper anymore. Oh, no, Again, see, that's, that's dark. He, he, he can't just go there. He can't just leave it at that, like become the helper. He has, but he makes a good point. Which is what? Who are the helpers? How do you identify those people? As opposed to, here's someone I think is helping, but he's actually stealing my wallet? I don't know. I'm asking <laughs> you. I'm asking our audience. How do you, I think, I think most of us know who people are that are good, that are helping. I won't even say good because that's a big ask to it, understand if someone's good. Oh, I think we need to make sure that we are because I know this very well. It's everything is situational. Everything is about what's happening at that moment. You may have someone who is not good, who just kind of rises from the rubble and is like, here, take my hand. I can help you find the exit. And that's all they're there for. And they're not living a great life. That's, yeah, we, there's a difference between good people and someone who is a helper in a certain circumstance. Absolutely. I think that's not one and the same. And I don't think that every time that you go out, you're going to find a helper. And so I think when you find a sense of community for yourself, I think you'll find the helpers and you'll identify those people. And I think when you are around people like that are encouraging you, what do you do? Yeah, you you pay it forward. You encourage others. You also encourage yourself. You can do that as well. I want to offer up something though that's a little bit different. 
have a, a little bit of a theory that, that it's not totally different than yours, but it's something that I've experienced over the years. And that is, yeah, your community is great. And that's who you surround yourself with. And within that community are the people that you can rely on who are helpers and that whole thing. I completely agree. But I like the thought that there are unexpected helpers. And that's sort of that's sort of one of my favorite things to see stuff like that happen. I've had several experiences. One comes to mind of when I got into a car accident mm. with my son. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but this is exactly what you're talking about. We were on the toll road and a, something dropped off a work truck in front of my car mm. and I didn't have time to go around it. So I ran over it and it literally gutted my, my entire car. It Ugh. went it went under the car and just stripped everything out. So I go to hit the brakes and it had cut the brake line. So I had no brakes. Oh had no brakes. And so we're spinning and Cameron's in the front seat with me. He's probably eight or nine years old, maybe maybe ten, I don't remember. We're spinning and we're on this toll road. And for those of you unfamiliar with the toll road in Orange County, there's one major one that runs east of sort of development and city it's it's kind of rural and it's in a little bit of a hilly area and there's no kind of guardrails you're just mm -mm. out there in open space it's four lanes two two each way and we are spinning and we did four or five spins and this like I said there were no brakes so I ended up going backwards and up an embankment thank goodness because I was not far from if it had a spun a couple more times, I would have gone down into a ravine that was pretty deep. And that would have been a very bad situation. But my car was going so fast that it backed up this hill and then just stopped. And I was able to turn the wheels so that I wouldn't go back down into the street. And I mean, it is smoking. It's It was the worst. There was stuff coming out of it. Luckily, luckily it was just the two of us in the car and we didn't hit any other cars because there were cars around. That's you know, amazing. driving past us. Yeah. Well, and fast forward, when my husband came to pick me up, he was coming the other way on the toll road. And he saw six cars sort of in the same position as mine, who had hit the same piece of equipment Ugh. that had dropped off the back of this guy's truck. It was it was a disaster for everybody. But anyway, I the, the thing about a car accident you will notice is that people either pull into the furthest lane so they can get as far away from the accident as possible and go around you or they're looking right at you and they're coming towards you not not really knowing that they're driving directly towards you so I got Cameron out of the car as quick as I could and I sent him up further on that embankment and he sat under a tree while I went and called I think I had to go to a lockbox I don't remember why anyway it doesn't matter I got out of my car and I, I called 911 and then I called my husband so that he could come rescue me and 911 was on the way. They had a tow truck that they, you know, were bringing, etc. We were out there for probably 20 minutes waiting for someone to come get us. And people just kept driving by. Sure. And my you know, my car is like you can tell it's dead and here's this little boy sitting up on the side of a hill, you know, he was probably like traumatized. Up pulls a lowered Impala mm. with six of the gnarliest gangbangers in it I have <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> Listen, no judgment, friend, but these guys were rough. I mean, uh, from head to toe, 
they weren't messing around. Do rags, neck tattoos, <laughs> real skinny, and you know it was it <laughs> was a sight. It was yeah, wiry. It was a sight to behold. This car pulls over, and they pull right up next to my car, but blocking it from other cars. So he pulled so that no car, if if a car was going to run into my car, they'd hit his car first. With all and of his gu- friends inside. There were six guys in this car. One woman, five men. Um, the, the driver gets out and he raises his hands kind of up over his head and he goes, hey, hey, are, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I see your boy up there. Is he okay? And I go, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to stay here until someone comes and gets you. Oh Have you called gosh. 911? And I'm like, no, I already called. My husband's coming. They're sending a tow truck. And he goes, okay, I'm just going to stay here, but I'm going to stay in, in my car, is what he was saying. Like, he wasn't going to come over and, like, approach me. And I go, no, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. And he just kind of gave me, like, a thumbs up. Got back in his car and sat there with his friends until the tow truck showed up. That is a helper... This guy, if you were to see him on the street or any of his friends, you would probably cross to the other side. Right. So that's that one sticks out in my memory most of all. There's been other instances where it's like the least expected person hops out and is like, I'm here for you. I don't know what I can do, which there was really nothing. But he was offering some sort of like protection with his car, which was super sweet because that car had been like restored. It was like a 68 Impala. It was like, I love it was gorgeous, but it was lowered and it had like the small wheels on it. It was all like, you know, it looked like something. He might have been able to bump it up and down too. 100% sure that's what was going on in that car. Yeah. But he was like using his car as protection and also he understood sort of what he looked like and how I was going to perceive him as a white woman from Orange (laughs) County that I could have run and started screaming. And instead he was just like, Hey, I'm not here to like get in your space. I'm, I'm here to help you. And it was, it's one of those things that's like, you know what? Don't ever discount the the gangbanger in the lowered Impala. They might just be your guy. I, I love that story. That, that is so great. You know, um, when I started reading about Mr. Rogers and I started doing the deep dive, I came across the article by Nicole Krauss and she says that there's four lessons that we can learn from Mr. Rogers. Um, her number one lesson, and I think this is really, really it, is there is always hope. Yeah. Right? Mr. Right. Rogers said, look for the helpers because when you start looking for people that will help you or that will be there for you, that means you're not alone. That's right right you're not you, that guy you knew right now then you were safe who's gonna mess with that guy right i mean who's gonna mess <laughs> no, no, no one's one. gonna mess and that was his that's what his gift to you was mm-hmm. was some security right right the big things are big that's the thing and i think this other writer might be missing the point in that it doesn't lessen the impact of how big the big things are that's right but having someone there to take in your trash on a Thursday afternoon when you can't bring in the cans yourself is something that is not overlooked. That's a helper. It is overlooked. And I think that's the point of what Mr. Mr. Rogers is saying or that his mother told him, which was there are a lot of things that go wrong in the world, Mm -hmm. but there's also hope. Mm -hmm. There's also people Mm -hmm. and people are good. Yeah. I think that's it. Number two, be a helper. Right. Don't just look for the helpers, be a helper. It feels Mm -hmm. good to help others and be the source of comfort. Number three, acknowledge emotions. Mm. Yeah, that's a hard one. It is. Mm -hmm. It is through the act of comforting people 
in their times of weakness and despair that others find their strength. Acknowledge the emotions. We have talked about this and I, because of what we're going through right now, I can attest to this, that people don't know how to comfort others. (laughs) It's very difficult. It is hard. Mm -hmm. How is it that hard? Uh, Because everyone's uncomfortable with, with emotions. Is that it? I think so. That's, I mean, that's what I think. Uh, but I, I mean, everyone's got their, also, I think people are very self-involved. So to have to acknowledge someone else's emotions is going to take the, the attention off of me and my emotions. This, but isn't that the thing though, when someone dies or someone has something horrible happen, everyone wants to tell you how this affects them. I'm so sorry for your loss. I loved her. She was so amazing. And I was this and that and the other. And and when I lost my so-and-so, you know what I mean? There's a lot of that happening rather than just, I'm so sorry for your loss. Go ahead and cry, (laughs) you know, know, or whatever you need to do. Kathy Nielsen was on the the podcast about her cancer. If you guys haven't listened to that one, I think it was called Save the Tatas. And she talks about how... It is was interesting to her that when she was going through this really dark time of breast cancer and trying to survive that and fighting it, that people said the darndest things, right? <laughs> it wasn't just like, hey, I heard you have cancer. Can I, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. How can I be there to be a support to you? I say that because I'm guilty of it. You and I, I have watched it a little bit at your house, but my husband watched the whole thing at your house, that crisis in... Um, when the boys were on the soccer team and they got stuck in the cave. 13 Lives. 13 Lives. That is one of those movies where <laughs> you see that these boys were, there was, there was, it was tragic. Mm-hmm. It was looking grim. And mm-hmm. they had somebody that showed up. And as soon as that happened, I feel like that changed everything, right? Mm -hmm. It gave them the will to live. It gave them everything. When they knew there was somebody on their side, it made all the difference. Yeah. Um, It was, I also, I don't mean to out you, but I need to, I need to let everybody know that we were watching that movie and Denise noped out. She, (laughs) (laughs) she was like, I cannot do this with you people. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. It was not, I don't, I didn't feel it at the time. I don't know what it was. I think I was reading a good book or something. I'm like, I'm out. I can go read my book and it'll be much better. But yeah, I didn't. It's so funny. It's such an intense movie though, that we, uh, Hod, Warren and I were just like, we couldn't take our eyes off it. I didn't even notice that Denise was gone. And (laughs) Thanks. But no, it was, uh, I'm sorry. I did, I was just like, well, wait, where? The movie was like almost over, and I'm like, where did Denise go? And Hod goes, I, I don't think she wanted to watch it. It was, it's a downer in a real big way, but also it's one of those things where it's like, well, but it's it's exactly the classic situation that we're talking about. Horrible, horrible circumstances, and then a group of people come in and actually save all of these kids to their own demise. A couple Absolutely. of the people that were saving, some of them died. One guy just died recently be- due to after effects of, of that whole project. Anyway, um, I didn't mean to out you, Denise. I know you've okay. actually seen the movie now. But I have. It, yeah. 
it's very intense, but it also is a perfect example of this is a dire situation. And here come these guys that are like, even the whole little village that was sort of surrounding the caves, they, there was stuff that was revealed in that movie that they had to do or that they chose to do that wasn't well advertised. All of the, all of the glory went to, uh, you know, the divers. The, the divers are American divers. There were a lot of other people helping, including that village. So it was the people all kind of took it upon themselves. And there were a ton of helpers. It, it, it is it is really a perfect example of being the helpers when you aren't going to get very much glory and you yeah. actually risked your life. Yeah. So the le- that, that was lesson number three, acknowledge your emotions. But lesson number four, and this is the last one, is see the light and good in the world. And that reminded me of the Martin Luther King quote. Oh, the darkness, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Is that the one the, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. A lot yes. of people love to quote that and it's because it's amazing. And she goes on to say, everywhere you look, evil is lurking, whether it takes its form of another human being or an addictive substance, evil mm. feeds an opportunity. Evil, it wait. feeds on opportunity. Interesting. I know. That is so true, though. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to stop you in the middle of it, but that's really, I have to think about that. Because I, I just said something deep. I wish I would have come up with it on my own, <laughs> no, but this reporter did, and evil feeds on opportunity. It does. So if you're sort of putting it out there in the universe that, you know, I'm dark and I'm not good, and we have some some family members in our in our family, <laughs> my husband and I, who sort of embody that quote. Like I'm I'm unhappy and I'm dark and I see the bad and everything and just bad things continue to sort of come their way. And that it might be like a self fulfilling prophecy, but it I, I like what you're saying though, that it feeds on opportunity. Well she uh, goes it, on it to does. say something good. She says the good news is if we refuse to acknowledge its darkness it will die of starvation. I think that's very hard for people, though, because, you know, I, we've all done with, we've all been in some depth of depression, some form of, I'm, you know, and some, bless them, are, it, it's very difficult for some people to sort of rise above that. And I'm not talking about chemical imbalance. I'm talking about, like, I'm just sad all the time and I don't, you know, I don't see the good in anything. It's very hard to sort of right the ship when you're going down that road you have to have a real reason absolutely this is something else she says that i think is worth listening to and thinking about it says the very power of evil lies in getting us to doubt our belief in the good there's skeptics there's believers on both sides for this quote yeah of be the helpers that's what i found out Mm -hmm. i thought it was odd that in such a simple phrase, there was so much written and so much controversy. I was really thinking, people, you need to get some more topics out there <laughs> in the in the world. Like this shouldn't be this controversial. This is not that hard to understand. The other thing I found out, and I don't know if you know this, you probably do because you're a smart girl, mm-hmm. is that if you go on and Google Mr. Rogers, there's a Mr. Rogers Foundation. Yes. What do they? It's called the what Fred Rogers they... Institute. Okay. What do they support? I'll tell you. It it says advancing Fred's Fred's legacy. And it says their mission is that Fred Rogers Institute advances the legacy of Fred Rogers by investing in the strength of families and caring adults to support the healthy development of children. Hmm. Their values, um, they value relationships. Human relationships are the foundation of learning and growing. You know I love that. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, the second value is that we, we value belonging. Every child yeah. and adult should be celebrated for their differences and know they matter in the world. Well, and I think that's what we're dealing with right now is people's place in their world is front and center. It's like, well, but I, I may look like this, but I feel like this. I still deserve acceptance. Yeah, that's a hard one. It's a hard one. The mm -hmm. third value is they value families and, carry, and caring adults. Supporting families and caring adults begins with respecting the essential role they play in the lives of their children. Hmm. Meaning parents are important. Yes, they are. I don't so care what So when you think says. that it's time to leave and you're done because they're 18 <laughs> or they're 15 and you're just so sick of them, you got a long road to go and you're you got to you got to find it. You're just getting started. And number mm -hmm. number four, five, I guess it is, is we value childhood. Helping children become who they are requires cherishing childhood here and now. And so yeah. if you go on there, you can actually nominate um, mm -hmm. You can actually nominate people, um, nominate a helper. Yeah. Yeah. Learn how you can submit a nomination for a 2023 Fred Rogers Institute Helper Award. Um, mm. There's, a, they have, they have all kinds. They have symposiums. They have all kinds of things. So it talks about Fred on there. I just thought it was very sweet and very. I just thought it was something that I didn't know about, and I thought, wow, there are still people in this world trying to be the helper and trying yeah. to make a difference. I love it. No, it that's too. it's so great. And there's not I un, I kind of understand even though it makes me a little bit mad what that journalist or that writer was saying that it's like don't try and, you know, paint it with a happy brush. These are bad things. No, they are. I understand sort of that portion of it. But at the same time it's like but you talk to anyone who's been through a tragedy. We were watching the documentary on the uh, Boston Marathon bombing mm -hmm. the other day. Ooh, that is a rough one. But um man, there were there were people that were there were people who were running screaming from the scene which that is your prerogative to do and hey no shade on that no judgment no run screaming from the scene but then there were those who stayed around and uh you know were helping a worse situation i cannot imagine you're there to do the m most innocent thing which is positive to run a marathon <laughs> Right. It's like this is this I've trained for this. This is going to be so great. And then the worst thing happens and people rose above and helped other people when it was least expected and most needed. Just be the helper. Just be the helper. I love it. Thank you, Denise. This was really this was really fun. I, I enjoyed this. Don't we all want to be that person? I don't want, want to be the person who runs screaming. I don't either. But. Sorry, sometimes I am. So my apologies to the people I've ran screaming from. And I'm going to try harder. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're Two Average Girls. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries.